0: The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Cap Weekly Podcast. I am Capital Weekly Editor Rich Eisen, uh, joined as always by my partner in crime, Tim Foster. Tim, how are you doing today? Hi, Rich. I'm well. Great. Well, you know, we, we... have a special guest today, and this is a really cool thing for me. Uh, a million years ago, I made a small film and learned an awful lot, mostly about what I didn't know. And so, uh, and we've recently had the pleasure of discovering uh, another person from the political realm who's made a vastly better film than anything I ever made. Uh, and so, we're joined, he's joining us today to talk about that experience because uh, Tim and I both had a chance to see the movie this week, and it's just excellent. So if you're into filmmaking politics or surfing today is the day uh because we are joined by sean duggan who is the vice president for advertising at siriusxm uh, down in los angeles uh and he has made a really great film uh keep it a
2: secret correct I say it right that's correct great to be oh. with you guys so thanks rich uh tim nice to be with you this morning great yeah, Sean, thanks for thanks for
1: coming on the show today. Like I say, uh, Tim and I both have seen the movie this week. Really great. I will start out by prefacing and saying I had no idea there was an Irish surfing culture. Here in California, I think, you know, we know we know about Maui or, you know, about Hawaii, I should say, and and you know, other places, but I gotta say, Ireland is not the first place that pops into my head when I think of of uh surfing, but we learned there is a tremendous surfing culture in Ireland. So tell us about the film, what inspired it and uh, you know what what brought all this to be.
2: Yeah, I mean um yeah, the 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 idea of it um and just your first question and reaction about half the people I kind of mentioned you know to the project going back now a few years are is, is that wait they're surfing in Ireland and so uh, literally and then the other half who maybe are surfers or have some kind of connection are like oh wow yeah it's like i've heard there are good waves in ireland so it was um you know my own as you saw in the film there's uh, my my background uh heritage wise is and culturally is i grew up um second generation irish i'm a dual citizen but born in uh i still my primary loyalty is Westfield, Union County, New Jersey, where I uh, grew up. Um, But, um, you know, all my grandparents uh, were um, emigrated from uh, really Ireland and wound up, you know, back in the day when Newark, New Jersey was Irish, literally, some of them went around the world different directions to marry somebody who at birth was about five miles from them uh that's literally true and maybe another story but um and you know and I grew up in the 70s going back and forth um like I went back over to Ireland my first time on a plane was to go to the west coast of Ireland so I've always had a, a strong connection with my family to Ireland and then um you know my my own background as I grew up down going down the Jersey Shore uh always the ocean has been a big part of my life um Probably cheap family uh, entertainment in the '70s for a middle-income family. My mom, we wouldn't go to camps. My mom would just throw us in the Ford station wagon and take us down the parkway for body surfing all day. So um, you know, as I got into surfing, as I got older, you know, I was I was just curious. It was there's definitely a you know uh, just journey on my own of like, um, hey. You know, about 10 years, I I'd heard that there was surfing in Ireland, but I was like, you know, I want to learn more about it, just quite frankly, to go surf there on, on future trips. And then, um, you know, I kind of also, you know, about I've always been huge into music as, you know, I worked for Sirius XM and worked for Pandora. So music has always been a huge passion of mine. I know, Tim, for you too, you're uh, you're big into music yourself. Um, yeah,
0: well, and you know, I got to say, also a proud son of New Jersey. Uh, you know, I did not I know born, that. Yeah. I was born in Princeton. And okay. I, we would, you know, every summer and all the time we'd go to beach Haven. Okay. And, uh, you know, spend all our time that that's where my grandparents lived or one of my sets of grandparents lived. And, you know, you'd see the Ron John surf shops and I'd look out the window of the car and go, man, that looks cool.
2: Believe it or not. I think actually yes, one of the shots of me down the shore is beach Haven. Like me running into the water so coincidentally, uh, not to spoil it for folks on the um, uh, the your Jersey listeners, but um, well, and I have
0: to, I do have to say, uh, you know, you have some great archival footage, both of you, you and your family, but also the other the surfers. You really did a great job of tracking down archival stuff, and it, it brought me right back because I also
2: was a child of the seventies, and you know I remember that those those clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, but the uh, yeah, no, was the Jersey. Uh, so like that connection of Ireland, Jersey, and you know the other question I guess Rich you had was like, how did I get here from you know my my my, my really been in advertising and media and hey political uh, advocacy and government work, advertising for now close to a decade. Um, but you know a huge passion of mine has always been film, and literally about you know you know. Six, seven years ago, I was just like, you know, I didn't think my wife would give me the okay to go off to USC uh, or NYU film school with two young children, around five or six. Um, So I started, you know, kind of kicking around the tires of, hey, the producing, you know, met some, some, at the time I was living in Brooklyn and, hey, it felt like producing might be a way in. Um, And, uh, you know, I kind of started just sketching out some ideas of, hey, what film projects would potentially would I like to make, what I think would be interesting and not require a hundred million dollars in financing. And, you know, one things I wrote down on like a yellow legal pad was surfing Ireland. And, you know, the original idea was like, I was actually starting to think of a script to potentially, you know, write or option. And then very early in the research, I kind of came across this name, Kevin Cavey. And I was like, oh, wait a second they were surfing in Ireland in the sixties. And then it kind of went from an idea of a scripted idea over to uh, what would eventually become a, a documentary. So that, that was kind of my way into this project initially.
0: You know, and the way, so for our listeners, the way that I became aware of all this and became aware of you is, I guess it was about five or six years ago on this very podcast. When we were talking to someone who ran campaigns and he said, I don't remember if he actually said this on the record or whether he said it before or after the podcast, but he said, Oh no, my secret weapon is, is Pandora like advertising. It was the best bang for my buck in the entire campaign. And I said, wait, Pandora, the like streaming listing. He's like, yeah, he's like, you, it, it's great. He's like, we tracked, you know, the success there. And he's like, it was just amazing. And it was very affordable. And John Howard and I both scratched our heads. Like, This seems really weird. So anyway, so I always kind of kept an eye on Pandora. And that's how I I got to know you. I think I talked to you about, uh, you know, letting you know the Capital Weekly existed, I think, back then. But that was how it worked. And it is this interesting thing. It was just a weird thing that then all of a sudden, you know, later on, I saw you had made this film. And I was like, wow, this guy's got a lot of things going. A lot of fingers, a lot of pies. And also, I saw in your bio, you used to work at MySpace.
2: Yeah, back in the day. Pioneer. Yeah, well, I love I appreciate the shout out because, you know, uh, you know, Pandora still works. Uh, we are sending out plans uh, as we speak for Montana uh, Senate race right now, um, you know. Um, but yeah, really, you know, from a um, from a political practice, you know, it was um, I, I we, we started the vertical in 2012, uh, you know, at Sirius XM just because. You know, I had I had some experience with political and former jobs, I, yeah, as you saw, I was at MySpace. Um, but um, and then I was at Comcast for a while, NBC. And that's where I really saw, hey, like the impact of political. Uh, and then, hey, what what are the tools that are really needed for effective uh, political advertising? So, yeah, it was it's been a, an amazing, you know, I can't believe it's over 10 years we've been really doing it uh, at Sirius XM. So it's pretty, pretty wild. Yeah.
1: I'm curious, you know, what did you bring maybe from your day job
2: that helped you in making this film? You know what, you know, the one thing that I think I've uh, I've had the opportunity and the fortune in my career to do, you know, I've been in media and slash advertising, I guess, you know, now over 20 years, 20 plus years, Uh, you know, but the nice thing that I've always, you know, had in my career is like, I I am a huge, passionate, you know, consumer, whether it's, you know, streaming, uh, podcasting. um, And I just always had a curiosity about media. You know, it's like funny, when I I started, I, I, my career started, I kind of landed, didn't know actually where I was going to go after graduating from Providence College. Um, But, um, you know, one thing, I landed in finance, just a quick little background, uh, but it was early days of finance. I just kind of, I had some economics from undergrad, I got hired, and it was actually early online brokerage, what would eventually become E-Trade. And it was totally happenstance. I was part of that last generation, this is really dating myself, that didn't have emails at school. We had the computer lab. Um, but when I got there, I I you know I, the, the finance world didn't set my world on fire, but what I did really find fascinating was I was I kind of had a window seat to the beginning of digital. You know, we were on the pa- platform of Prodigy. I got to see us launch on this thing called America Online. And then, you know, um, really from that point on, I was like, hey, this is this is the area I want to spend time on. I find it really interesting. I don't know, you know, I from a that was World Wide Web Dave's and I was a, as a you know musician part time on the side. I was like, wow, I can find any any lyrics from any song of guided by voices here. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. This is what the internet was meant for, finding archaic, you know, indie music lyrics. And this is going to be huge. Um, so, uh, which obviously it, it turned into a little bit bigger than that. But um, but really, you know, your question of um, that day job, what I I was able to fortunately do is I was able to migrate into media from that brokerage job. I wound up working in public radio um, for Fordham, WFUV in New York, a great station, um, because I actually started going for my MBA at night. And, you know, one thing I kind of kept getting lucky with in my career, and maybe it's also a little bit of, I was pointing myself that way, was, you know, just when things were getting going, when the rule book is not kind of made, um, I would be in these organizations that were kind of building out that team. So... It was at uh, ABC when they were just starting streaming, and it was three of us trying to figure it out. So, and then when I got to Comcast, it was a similar situation. MySpace, there was always um, they were they were companies that were had decent sized audiences, and I felt like great product, but a lot of onus and responsibility was given to myself, you know, at a fairly young age, just to figure stuff out. And I feel like that skill was very helpful in wearing the producer hat because rich as you as a filmmaker know and tim as you a musician is like you, you you're you're mostly dealing with okay figuring out answers to, to questions and challenges like a lot but of the you, people but have, you often didn't know you were going to have to answer that was the it, thing it, exactly nothing
1: goes the way you think it's going to go
2: so you have to be completely mobile <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> absolutely you know it's like i when I started this project, I envisioned myself producing, and 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 I still feel like you know, quite frankly, I I I still feel like that's I don't know whether that's right it should have been, but out of necessity, you know, uh, the woman who was uh, attached to it originally uh, is an, a Dublin director. Like she helped w- with shooting some of these early interviews she had to step out to do her own project, which actually is now um, not uncommon that someone leaves a project, but I just kind of kept it moving. And then all of a sudden, you know, editor who was working on it, you know, also had, I kind of ran out of money. I was like, I don't have any more money. So I had to, I kind of kept it going. And then all of a sudden, you know, I kind of taught myself basics of editing through LinkedIn learning, which is amazing. You can learn Avid for kind of like free almost on, on LinkedIn learning. So I, I, I don't consider myself an editor. Uh, Jay Cooper, who's the editor who came on board, is very fortunate that he came on board. But um, hey, I did put the, together the rough cut initially of the film, you know, myself out of necessity. I had to do that uh, because I didn't have money to hire somebody. And then, um, you know, but yeah, to 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 your question of how do you get there? I think it's, you know, just having a mindset of problem solving, you know, to your point, like, a lot of the questions of like, a lot of people, like, Hey, so why are you narrating the film? I couldn't afford Killian Murphy. If I could have, I probably would have answered that question a different way. And now I, I very much, there'll be few people who can afford him. I think after the next year, particularly next in February or March. Yeah. Um, well, but John, you know, you know, let me follow up yeah, on that though, yeah. because, you know, in politics, uh you know, Jess
1: Unruh very famously said mother's uh, money is the mother's milk of politics. And that's true, but it's absolutely the mother's milk of filmmaking too. And you've noted the the cost factor for you a couple times and 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 that is absolutely real. Everything costs more than you think it's going to cost. There are costs that you didn't even know you were going to have until you get yeah. into it no one told me how much I was going to have to spend on craft services and just things you go, Oh God. Yeah, that's right. Insurance. I mean, there are so much beyond just the, the, you know, film stock and actors and that kind of thing. Or if if you have actors, what have you Uh, talk a little bit about how you did get the financing. Cause I I know there were some stages there from what I've learned about how this film happened. Share that with us a little bit.
2: Yeah. So uh the immediate funding was uh my USAA credit card, uh, which <laughs> I was putting on um, you know, first the first work on the film was uh self-funding. Like um, you know, just to give you a little bit of insight of what that was, was a neighbor of mine in Brooklyn, um Sabina K- Kriambule, who's a an amazing director and editor in her own right, but it was a, a friend uh first and still is um you know she um you don't know if you ever saw the documentary uh, my architect who was up for academy award uh she 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 did that film uh she's a very talented director but also many other films too um she um would but she i I was like hey uh, this is the project i'm working on i was having coffee in our apartment and um you know, she said something very sage in the beginning. I was like, hey, you know, I found out there's going to be a big reunion of all these Irish surfers. that are all going to be in one place uh, for this weekend in September in Tremor. And she was like, hey, you're going to go over for research? She says, get a good DP for photography and a good audio engineer and record every research interview. Like that, if that hadn't happened, quite frankly, like the film wouldn't have happened that weekend i picked up about almost half of the archive material just people walking in with drives and then also those interviews are the masters those are the master interviews in the final film like because of covid shutting down you know my ability to go back um i only did two trips for the whole film um so uh where we actually did it so that yeah is, your question
0: I, so i know our listeners have not probably not seen this film yet but that is John, I'm. That blows me away, actually. So, by the way, speaking of, is there a place that our listeners can see your film? Is it available online anywhere?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, so in the U.S. Uh, um, just go to World Channel. Um, uh, they are uh, associated with uh, WGBH up in Boston. They're the ones who uh, released it um, in the U.S. So basically, you can even go into YouTube, um, type in "Keep It a Secret." that they have the North America distributions. You can get get it, you know, right away at your fingertips. We'll, we'll post
0: a link to it as well.
2: Yeah, and also, on, I guess, I think it's also on the PBS app in uh, the U.S. Excellent. And then, One, um,
0: you know, yeah. I have to say, hearing your story about making the film brings me back, really, to the story in the film where you have Kevin Cavey and this very small group of people basically trying to conjure surfing out of whole cloth they've really only seen it in pictures and films they have to build their own boards (laughs) you know uh they're literally the other one that blew me away they're making their own wetsuits uh which is really next level um and so uh you know that is in some ways like when you're talking about your early career where you're trying to figure out how to stream things to the internet and everything there is a little bit of corollary there so i could really see how that was kind of a, a good match where you having gone through a little bit of a similar experience with a very different thing understood what it was like a little bit for these guys.
2: Yeah, I, I definitely drew me in. I, I love that. I'm, I'm, a sucker for an origin story, you know, um, a lot of people ask, Hey, what pulled you into this? And, you know, when I come across Kevin Cavey's book, he actually had a self-published book, which I have here somewhere on this desk. It's called, um, how green was our, our wave of, of, you know, I, I read the book. That is an and, amazing you know, title. Yeah, yeah, it, it's like it's great. And Kevin is, you know, an amazing force of nature. Here it is. By the way, I know your audience won't see it, um, but um, but he, um, you know, what what kind of pulled me in I, as a surfer? Like, there's a lot of minutiae, which would keep maybe a smaller audience engaged. But when I read it, you know, the thing that rang out to me was, hey, the time period. 65 to 72, which is really the time frame that the film covers, was a time frame which was just fascinating to me because, um, you know, in the words of Roger Stedman, British marketing executive, who uh, kind of, did I love Roger's story, Roger's a small story, but here's a Unilever marketing executive, British in the 60s, doing what would, is, is now kind of, du jour and normal becoming taking a job because he wants to surf very common in maybe 2023 but not so common in the 60s um but you know the thing he talked about he goes is the wonderful contrasts of you know that time you know you had uh, a country that had not been changed by modernization you had the political background which was it was about to really break out like those elements to me it it, i didn't know what the story was at that point but to me i was like God there's great elements to the story and it took, obviously took a while to figure out hey what that arc was um but um but I still feel like th- those were the things that just immediately hooked me that I was like um god this there seems like there's just so much kind of mag- it's magical time that kind of pulled me in
1: now, yeah, but- did you run into any resistance from anybody in talking about that time frame in the 70s when uh you know there were the troubles all the the challenges of 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 being in Northern Ireland at that time, uh, you know, was anyone hesitant to talk about it or was this something that they wanted to get out there and and discuss a little bit?
2: Yeah, what I learned very quickly um, and also context-wise, you know, for your audience, you know, so folks who may not be familiar with, you know, The Troubles, The Troubles is, you know, was one of the longest conflicts in Europe, you know, a conflict between really... There's a few way it broke, but between essentially, you know, um, you know, Ireland has been a divided island, you know, since really over 100 years, where the North is under um, UK control, and the Republic of Ireland is, you know, commonly known as Ireland to a lot of people. And, um, you know, for really beginning in 1968, there started to be like the IRA, and then, you know, kind of a Trying to force, hey, one Ireland having you the England leave, and you know that was the, the beginning. It was a thirty five year, uh, you know, a conflict that was resolved wonderfully in nineteen ninety eight with the Good Friday Agreement. Um, so just a quick one minute of Irish history, a very pared down version. But uh, to your question, Rich, of like, yeah, you know, hey, this was, um, you know, um, I think, you know. Over those years, it was the most violent conflict in Europe, um, you know, in terms of people disappearing, bombings, uh, assassinations. It was a real war zone, particularly really in the north, but it spilled into there was bombings in Dublin, infamous bombing of the royal family, uh, Mulligmore, which is, you know, one of now one of the most iconic surf breaks in Europe. A big wave of, of surfing, but it was known for the, the assassination of Mountbatten. Um, The uncle of King Charles now, Um, but to your question of folks, I would usually do this during the interviews. We would talk surfing for 30, 40 minutes, maybe longer. And then at the end, I would say, hey, can you tell me a little bit about the time? And the tone of the interview would very much change. And depending on where the person was living, if they were living in the north, it might be, you know, I don't really want to talk about it because at that time. Brexit was happening during the production of the film, which was the real right. And then for those of you who might not know, Brexit, you know, is where the decision was made. Hey, the UK left the European Union. But some people may not know is one of the final issues holding up Brexit from happening um, was would there be a checkpoint at the Irish border? Um, And because there was real palpable fear at the time um, that it could bring this whole conflict back. So there was, and I do think, I don't know if me as an outsider, just being able to kind of ask that question. uh, Yeah, I was was kind of coming in more of um, the lens of, hey, I want to know. I want to know what it was like, you know, and I didn't really have, although my heritage is Irish, American, Catholic, you know, I was a little bit, I am an outsider in that regard, you know, that I I didn't grow up you know, in, 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 in the conflict that I, I think there's still, there was still very much a hesitancy that to talk about it. Uh, but, you know, I, we did get, I think an, enough for the film, which I, I, I'm proud that we're able to show. And, and I did want to share, that was part of the goal also just to tell the story, hopefully in a way, maybe that hasn't been told through the perspective of 18 to 20 year olds who are quite frankly focused on waves and how did it, it inform them?
0: Well, and that's one of the things I found really interesting in your approach. So uh, obviously most Irish histories of that period talk about the troubles and they talk about the terrorism, they talk about the bombings, etc. And you interviewed these surfers and almost to a person, they said, we didn't care what religion someone was. We didn't care where they were from. We judged them by how good of a surfer they were. And so that was really an interesting thing that they were, you know, because of their shared interests, they kind of didn't care about the rest of the stuff. However, they were very engaged in a completely different political struggle, which we have the same thing here. So for people that are not really into surfing, there is a thing called localism and You really see it in California, not as much anymore, I don't think, but certainly 20 years ago, you really saw the locals only thing. And some of you may even remember stickers. And I know I've encountered it. I'm a surfer. I'm a terrible surfer and I don't go that often, but I do love it. And I live in Sacramento, so I don't have a local break. So wherever I go, I'm the outsider. And usually people are pretty friendly, but I can tell you, I have been yelled at in Santa Cruz, told to get the fuck out of here. Uh, because I'm not from here, and that's happened other places as well. Uh, and locals, locals only is a thing that really exists. and it's it's a very hard break and surfing like people that want to be welcoming and encouraging people to take part in this sport and this experience. And other people that are like, no, this is my beach. Get lost. And that was the politics that was splitting. The Irish surfing community there were the, the the get off my beach people and the hey come and see how cool this is people
2: yeah absolutely i mean that that's the one that was like you know we had um you know when i was making the film you know it's like you, you start deciding hey what's what's the arc and you know you had this obviously the troubles conflicts is the one that's probably maybe, maybe most visible at that time but hey the real story was like you know um hey these two camps, uh, which I found fascinating, which is, Hey, that's a very big macro to your point, Tim. Like that's a, that's a global story in surfing. You rent you're you're surfing in Gaza or, uh, you know, down in Australia or, you know, uh, Maui, hey, there's going to be local beach or New Jersey or Ireland. There's going to be that protection of beaches. And, uh, you know, I like, I, I love that, 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 you know, expanding, exploring that because it is, you know, there's I think, you know, there's two sides to every uh, point of view. And I liked the having both views there. You know, I think the intentions of the the Dublin crew, which were kind of about putting a flag on Ireland globally that, hey, putting us on, on the map. The intentions were innocent and like, hey, there, it's good. You know, the perspective of the Belfast crew who, you know, hey, their world was very different. They were living in a war zone. And this was a really magical escape. I I fully respect that their thoughts on it. That like, hey, this is this is this is maybe not going to happen again. And we have something really special. So I, I understand the motivations of both sides of uh, of that argument. And um, you know, um, yeah, that 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 was the, that was that kind of that when I when I kind of saw that that was going to be the primary um, conflict like the editing of the film came together pretty quickly, actually, when I kind of sorted that as that, that the organizing around that was a, the film editing process after I'd been marinating with it for a while, it kind of came together pretty quickly at that point.
1: Well, that's all really fascinating. I, you know, I, I really hope people take the time to go look, seek out the film and invest an hour plus of their time and check it out because I learned a lot. I was engrossed in it. I thought it was really, uh, fascinating and I, I again I, I really admire the stick and everything that comes with filmmaking especially this kind of filmmaking because it really it really is a labor of love uh, do you maybe a last thing do you anticipate at any time it'll be you know, a wider distribution or anything where you know uh, people would see it in a theater uh, or something like that be streaming on Netflix what have
2: you yeah i mean uh, like so like we like right now pbs is going to be you know fully available in north america um you know we we have it available released as of you know yesterday in ireland it'll be available streaming there um and i actually um right now i'm just kind of finalizing you know i i do see it getting a broader release but i was mostly focused on uh, us and uh, ireland now that those two are off the list um I hope to get a um yeah and it actually it really did a, a long festival run it did a 12-month run um quite frankly as much as covid was a lot of this challenge um it it did a uh, hey I, as a first time you know feature film for me uh I was like there was a point where I was like I I'll, I'm just gonna finish this thing and put it on my garage and invite the neighbors over I would have been happy with it but then when I got that first email of acceptance from I always got to give a shout out uh the Belfast uh Film Festival was the first to accept it they had another small film that year uh which was uh Belfast the movie uh we were a few nights apart uh I would, I kicked myself I couldn't get there for that screening I would have loved to have seen that uh there but um yeah it's 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 really um at this point it's um to get back to your question is I, I anticipate hopefully we'll have the the international distribution widely released and there, there's still screenings happening here which I'm totally stoked about uh, Patagonia here in um, uh, Santa Monica, uh, screened it a couple of weeks ago. And then I think it's headed to Paris in about uh, three weeks for another oh. film uh, festival. Um, so yeah, I'm stoked. And if anybody here is on the phone and wants it, um, you guys can feel free to give out my contact. Uh, I, for better or worse, uh, Sean Duggan still owns this film until I hear oh. from Netflix and they want to give me a big uh, check or somebody else. <laughs> Well Sean thank
1: you very much. As I say I really do encourage everybody to go check it out. It's a, it's really a worthwhile uh watch if uh if if you whether you're into surfing or not. I thought it was fascinating. I think the stories are fascinating because you know it it was uh, such a unique thing at the time and a lot of those people are still here and they're able to share those experiences. So yeah, definitely a, a worthwhile use of an hour plus of your time.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a way Looking at history that is usually told from a very different point of view, uh, I I felt like it was really taking you into a world you're never going to see any other way.
2: Great. Well, I appreciate you guys. Thanks for the time. Great to join you this morning. And uh, yeah, look forward to connecting again soon. Absolutely.
1: Thanks so much. Yeah, please take care. And we will watch for whatever your next film is, too. I will.
2: I will be back. I hope to be back (laughs) soon. Okay. take care, Sean.
0: So we had such a fun time talking to Sean Duggan that we completely forgot to do our favorite part of the program. Who had the worst week in California politics?
2: The worst week. Worst week. Worst week.
0: I didn't realize this until I was going to edit the show at the end of the week. And so I'm going to go ahead and take this one. Rich doesn't get any of the blame if you disagree with my selection uh, because he doesn't, even, he's going to find out when you listen when he listens to this, just like you. Uh, and this was kind of a difficult week. There were no real obvious players. You know, no one on the C- LA City Council got arrested. So I'm going to make my selection. and You can agree or disagree. I think it's pretty clear that uh, John Eastman, uh, an attorney for former President Trump, did not have a great week. He was arrested in Georgia for his role in alleged election interference in 2020 Uh, if you've seen his mugshot he does not look like a happy camper but he's not my choice uh also i think the police department and law enforcement in general in san francisco seem like they're never having a good week they're always defending their record on car break-ins etc but again nothing new there my choice is sort of a blast from the past someone whose name you may not have heard in quite a while He is a former gubernatorial candidate. He is a regular radio show host. His name is Mr. Larry Elder. And Larry Elder, you may not know this, is running for president on the GOP ticket. And he, according to the Republican National Committee, did not make it onto the stage for the first Republican presidential debate this year in Milwaukee. And he was very unhappy about that. Now, the RNC made the, uh, the requirements for making the debate fairly clear. You had to get at least 40,000 individual donors, and you also had to get at least 1% in the polls. According to the RNC, Larry Elder did not meet those requirements. According to Larry Elder, he did. He says the system is rigged. He said they're keeping him out intentionally, and he was in Milwaukee outside protesting. Uh, he says he's going to sue the RNC, unclear what the grounds will be. But Go, Larry Elder. And, you know, I think this does not bode well for Mr. Elder's presidential candidacy this time around in any case. And we may have seen his high point when he ran in the recall election against sitting Governor Gavin Newsom. Uh, Some of you may not remember those numbers, but he did very well compared to other Republican candidates, Uh, obviously, Governor Newsom was not recalled, and that was not even close. It was about 62% voted to keep him, about 38% voted to get rid of him. And some of the people that voted also voted for a candidate to replace him. And of the folks who actually voted to replace him, Larry Elder was by far the winner. Uh, So to put this in perspective, the no on the recall got just under 8 million votes. 7,944,000 people voted to keep Governor Gavin Newsom. 3,563,000 people, however, voted for Larry Elvin. That's a lot of people. That is uh, just under 10% of California's entire population and a bigger chunk of the electorate. Uh, so that's pretty impressive, especially when you look at some other well-known California political figures like former Mayor Kevin Faulkner who got 590,000 votes. Caitlyn Jenner, a former Olympic champion, a reality TV star, got 75,000 votes. And maybe most surprisingly, Doug OC a former congressman uh, right from outside of Sacramento here, got, by comparison, Doug OC got 26,000 votes in that same election. So that may have been the high point for Larry Elder's uh, electoral ambitions. We shall see. But this week, I think you're indoors week. All right, we'll see you next week and thanks for listening. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.